0: Today's episode is a blast from the past and a part one of hearing about the day in the life of two different infectious disease PAs. The first one is Nan, who's also a PA platform coach, and Josh, and you're going to hear so much great info from them. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club Podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. I am excited to introduce the speakers on today's episodes to you. Um, I think they both have been on the podcast before though, so I'll try to link those in the description. Nan is one of our amazing pre-PA coaches who does mock interviews at the PA platform. She comes highly requested all the time. So if you are planning on doing a mock interview, make sure that you schedule with non or any of our other awesome coaches. Um, and you can use the code FUTURE PA to um, get a discount on that too. So, in today's episode, I'm Savannah, by the way, pre PA coach, Durham PA, who knows what else. But thanks for listening to the Pre PA Club podcast. This was done, let me think, last October, I believe. Where we were doing some virtual shadowing and did a day in the life series with Nan and Josh, and they put together this amazing presentation about their jobs as infectious disease PAs. Nan actually, since this recording, now works in a different specialty, um, but this is really great information in just how PAs can do have the same title but do different things and have different different jobs. So. I really want you to pay attention to the differences that they discuss. Um, And this ended up being a very long session. It was about an hour and a half. And so I've split it into two episodes um, because that would just be a very long time to listen. So this is part one. Next week, we will have part two where it will pick up where we left off and jump right back into their conversation. So, stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on that part too. And make sure you follow these guys on Instagram. I'll have their handles in the description um, so that you can find them. And if you have any burning questions, send them their way.
1: Sure. Um, Hi, guys. For those that don't know me, I am Nan. I am actually a uh, PA platform mock interview coach. So, Love working with Savannah. Love working with you guys and helping out the PPA community. I am still an early career okay I started out in ENT and recently transitioned to infectious disease thanks to this pandemic. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you a little bit more about my journey.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Josh. Hopefully, you can hear me well through this. Uh, I mostly do outpatient ID. I'll talk more about it. I've been doing ID since 2017 or 2018, somewhere around there. So also considered myself an early career PA, still learning every day uh, as this pandemic continues. And I'm glad you all have set some time to hang out with us.
0: All right. And y'all, they're really fancy and put together a presentation for you. Um, If you have any questions along the way, put them in the chat and we'll be keeping track of those. Um, Ballot, you guys jump in.
2: All right. Okay, true life. I'm an IDPA. I, we don't have any music. I guess yeah. we we'll
1: Unfortunately, it. this probably outdated us, you know, so please don't call us um, the elderly. <laughs> I,
2: I hope people get the reference. But So uh, it, this week is actually, I actually started yesterday, ID week. Uh, it's usually a week set aside in October, and it's usually an annual joint meeting uh, for a bunch of ID companies or ID organizations that you could see that we've listed there. It's pretty much just a big networking and a big event conference for ID people to get together and uh, share the latest data, uh, share maybe the latest things. I mean, this year, obviously, it's mostly centered around COVID 19. Uh, but last year was centered on a lot of new HIV medications and other exciting developments in antibiotics, but uh, it's fitting. And thanks to Savannah for inviting us this week because it is ID week.
1: (laughs) All right. So our lovely meme, you know, I always love these uh, PA memes. So kind of what social media thinks we do, you know, as we show up in our hazmat suit rolling around you know, seeing COVID patients or something. Um, My mom probably thinks that I'm a nurse handling, you know, medications. Um, I like to think that as a PA uh, that I'm really there, really saving lives, you know, treating people from these nasty infections. Um, What the general society probably thinks of us, you know, we're probably hiding out in a lab, licking the plates and playing with bugs all day or something. Uh, Sadly, sometimes our attendings may think that we're their own personal assistants. No, but what we really do you know, I'm in work behind the behind a desk um, Josh actually gets to do telemedicine so I'm sure this is how he feels sometimes or maybe most days
2: yes wearing a headset and <laughs> sitting closely with my colleagues talking to patients by phone
1: and giving them a thumbs up as well
2: yeah
1: <laughs> all right so um, like I said my name is Nan. I am currently working uh, relocated to Orlando. Uh, I currently work serving veterans at the VA hospital. Like I said earlier, after graduating uh, from FIU PA's program in end of 2017, I came out working in ENT uh, and just recently moved or switched uh, to ID back in July. Um, You know, prior to PA school, and I think this had a lot of impact on kind of why I landed my job, um, you know, I received my master's in public health, specifically with uh, a track in infection control. Part of my rotation or my capstone project was actually rotating for several months with the infection preventionists at the hospitals. Um, And so... That was mainly with schoolwork, but in terms of healthcare hours, clinical hours, uh, I worked at the local health department, actually two health departments as an epidemiologist. Um, Originally, I was hired to help with the CDC-funded grant, looking at young adults that were exposed to um, hepatitis C. And then later, once I graduated with my MPH, Waiting, you know, for a PA school to start, I worked at another smaller um, local uh, health department, kind of more as a general epidemiologist doing, um, you know, outbreaks, whether it is with varicella or chickenpox, you know, measles, there was a big outbreak at one point. Um, I would say probably to date on paper, the coolest thing that I ever got to do was catching the tail end of Ebola. Uh, and so naturally, I think it's very fitting, right, to have done crazy Ebola with another crazy pandemic, probably the worst one. I hope it is the worst one in our lifetime that I had to go back into the ID world um, to help with COVID. Um, but like I said, once I realized that I wanted to become a PA, how to get those you know, actual hands on patient care hours, my experience as an epidemiologist was mainly behind the scenes. Um doing a lot of health education so those were considered more health you know the HCE versus the patient care PCE hours so uh, I had the opportunity at the health department too we actually had an HIV clinic and so I worked as an MA there for about a year and one of the fellows in training ID fellows in training at that time is not actually one of my attendings. And so I think it's so important and it's just a good life lesson to just always be nice to people, network, because you never know when an opportunity may present itself. Um, And so currently uh, compared to Josh, I am an inpatient ID. So mainly I work, uh, you know, on the hospital side uh, when I first started back in July here in Florida, there was a second wave. I mean, especially right after Fourth of July, you know, people <laughs> did not want to social distance, so we saw another peak. Um, granted, it is my hospital is much smaller. I think in total we're like maybe. Oh, I, don't, I don't even know this number. It's a really small hospital. Um, but at one point, we were probably, um, I want to say, in the numbers of teens for COVID, which is literally nothing. Like Josh is probably laughing on the inside, <laughs> coming from like a private, you know, community hospital. But um, for our numbers, those were pretty busy. And so my first month as an IDPA, I was solely. Uh, dealing with COVID patients. um, No, I was not in the room. I wouldn't even consider myself a frontline worker. You know, my role in terms of COVID uh, was really just to evaluate the patient um, and kind of serve as a consultant, Um, you know, look into the patient's history, their labs and everything and see if they even meet, you know, qualifications to receive some of those experimental antivirals. Um, One of them you probably have heard already, remdesivir, and then even the convalescent plasma. Um, And so that was kind of my experience, predominantly the first month. Now I do a little bit of everything, which we'll go into a little later, but I'm more um, what you would consider kind of a general ID, PA. So that's a little bit about me. I'll hand it over to Josh.
2: All righty. Okay. Thanks, Don. So yes, I'm in Dallas, Texas. I moved out here for my first PA job. And so I've actually been doing ID and HIV care since 2017, uh, when I moved out here to work in HIV and predominantly, yes, outpatient. And so uh, I do have a mix of inpatient. Before it was mostly like two weeks on inpatient, two weeks off, to meaning like two weeks outpatient. But now majority of my time is in clinic setting, doing HIV care and ID care. And so what that entails mostly on the HIV side is doing a lot of HIV primary care, which also includes not just managing someone's HIV regimen, but also managing their other comorbidities, whether that's hypertension, diabetes, cancer, what have you, and also doing immunizations and other screenings. Uh, And other things I do outpatient as well as also follow up on antibiotics. So say someone saw Someone like Nan on the inpatient side started them on treatment for something. We'd follow them outpatient to make sure everything was going okay from a lab standpoint, from their line and antibiotics as well. Uh, And I kind of jumped around, but (laughs) before PA school, I was mostly doing research, mostly cancer-related research, uh nothing really ID related or even HIV related. And it really wasn't until I was in PA school that I had two HIV, I had one HIV and one ID rotation that really opened my eyes to this world and I fell in love and have been, like I said, doing HIV care and ID since I graduated. Uh listed some things I'm currently working on and interested in certainly improving patient adherence. Uh, we do have research studies looking at the f- function of smartphone apps and helping with adherence to medications, and also looking at how COVID-19 progresses and if has affected the HIV population. And then other interests include precepting PA students. So I do actually have a PA student with me right now, and she's doing her primary care preceptorship. And so she learns the HIV, but also is sort of having a long term rotation on just really the, a lot of the primary care stuff that a lot of PAs will go into once they graduate. Um, I guess we can move on to round two.
1: <laughs> ding, ding, ding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. So, what is ID? And, you know, this is, you know, we wanted to talk about more in detail of what this. Subspecialty is. It's technically subspecialty of internal medicine, so essentially adult medicine. Uh, majority of our patients are. There is specific pediatric ID, which of course is for the pediatric population. But so, given it's a subspecialty of internal medicine, we will look at and evaluate infections of any and every organ system. So that can be infections of the skin, infections of the brain, heart, lungs, abdomen. Um, Bones, anything, eyes, whatever. If if it's complicated, they're gonna con- the uh, other hospitalist and primary care doctors will consult an ID specialist to to take a look at it and give their two cents or recommendations. Uh, ID also includes microbiology, so all that stuff you learn in microbiology about Gram staining and. Uh, <laughs> all those other kinds of stains and then plates and plates, and cultures and spectrometers, spectroscopy stuff. We don't usually, we don't work with them, but we do interpret results from those things. And we take those results to give antibiotic recommendations, also involved in vaccines, uh, as far as not just administering it, but also in sort of a way of infection prevention of course, like I said, I work in HIV, so we manage HIV and any complications related to AIDS. Sexual health is a big part of infectious disease. Uh, given sexually transmitted infections, we also uh, take care of those. Uh, and Nan has a lot of experience in public health, and that's also a major part, as we see during this pandemic, of how infectious disease specialists and infectious disease providers play a big role in, in public health education. Or educating the public, as well as the research involved with looking at epidemiology as far as incidences and prevalence of certain diseases and infections, and trying to see if there's a pattern going on and trying to use that information to maybe educate the public or prevent further worsening of outbreaks. Uh, tropical medicine and travel medicine is also a big part of it. Uh, say we have to deal with infections related to malaria or zika or some um, other what maybe not native to the united states we also deal with those maybe someone that traveled recently as i mentioned infection control and prevention and so that's more so in regards to maybe in the hospital setting say for example someone has covid or suspected tuberculosis or even in the clinic setting, suspected C. diff or whatever, uh, infection prevention is involved with giving the best recommendations possible in uh, protecting the staff and protecting the patient from cross-contamination and further worsening infection or new infections in these settings. Transplant medicine is also a big part. I also group that with uh, managing infections in the immunocompromised patients. That's also something that infection disease, infectious disease specialists look into, say, for example, someone's getting a a transplant and they're put on long-term steroids or long-term immunosuppressants, then uh, they're at risk for infections and they may consult an ID specialist to help manage that bioterrorism is also another part, not very common, thankfully for many infectious disease people, but also something for us to be aware of, uh, especially if, I don't know if anyone remembers during the anthrax <laughs> outbreak that happens, I think it's a, like 20 years ago now, but definitely something that was scary and something that again, they got infectious disease specialists involved in, one, trying to figure out what was causing all these people to get sick, but then two, helping to, to mitigate the issue.
1: Yes. And I just want to add a comment to that. So, of course, with my experience working at the health department, anytime you have a large event, um, like, say, years ago, you know, when I was living in Tampa and President Obama came, um, any of these major events, normally the health department looks, works very closely with hospitals and there are certain surveillance that's kind of what the health department or at least working in epidemiology, what you're always doing is trying to survey, get capture, maybe certain symptoms like fever, um, diarrhea, vomiting, and then, you know, whoever's in charge of that particular type of um, disease per se, they're in charge of those tracks because sometimes even if you think about it, like say you go with common ideas, you know, you go to a family picnic, and everyone gets food poisoning from eating the potato salad. Well, that similar food outbreak can be done. And then sometimes you have to question if it's a larger number than the typical, like, you know, setting, that might be considered a bioterrorism attack. So I just kind of wanted to throw that fun bit in terms of, you know, we work, especially in ID, we work very closely in public health. um, And so, You don't always get to hear about public health, you know, but truly those are the individuals that are working every day to help keep you and your family safe. So just wanted to throw that in there. So think a public health official, if you know one.
2: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yes. And again, this is just more of the wide spectrum. We don't dabble in all of these things at once, but ID is a very big specialty within itself. All right. Uh
1: right. So now this is technically round two. Ding, ding. (laughs) So what was my reason for choosing ID? Well, clearly, I think my background working in public health, as I've been saying, ties in greatly to YID. Um, I think what is so unique about ID that maybe I didn't really consider earlier on is compared to other specialties, you know, you're not just there to treat the patients. Um, You know, we're really utilize. As a consultant. So, for example, of course, in the hospital, the primary care team, the hospitalists, you know, they're taking care of the patients. They now, this individual is now infected with bacteremia or sepsis, um, you know, a blood infection. So now they get ID involved. And so, you know, having that kind of unique relationship, I think it's great. there are other community efforts. So say someone is overseeing a assisted living facility, right? We heard earlier on with this pandemic, so many nursing homes had these COVID outbreaks. And so those individuals, you know, at that point, they would consult with the ID physicians or practice to get input. So it's not just a one-on-one with your patient and kind of what Josh said earlier, we really do work um, in a way, maybe indirectly and trying to help protect our communities as well. I think another thing that makes ID so unique is just really the incredible progress. You know, I can't think of another specialty where we're moving that quickly in medicine. So if you think about, think about it, like, you know, when the HIV, um, you know, epidemic or pandemic began, it was, um, you know, in the 80s and people were just dying left and right. And now I think I just recently have a patient in their 80s still living with HIV. So, um, you know, it's just these medications that we're coming out with, you know, are helping them uh, with smallpox, um, eradicating smallpox with vaccines. So that's another another public health ID effort. Um, With hepatitis C, the same thing, you know, when I was working on that project just a few years ago, and I think that was back in Oh gosh, maybe it was a while ago. But back then I recall, you know, sitting there at my desk, calling up patients um, telling them, hey, uh, did you are you aware that you tested positive, or you came or were exposed to hepatitis C, and then to which oftentimes they would ask me, well, is there a cure? Is there any treatment? And at that time, there was no treatment. I mean, hepatitis C treatment. This is all new within recent years, so it's really exciting to see that we are heading way, coming out with better medications to treat all these infections. So I would say, really, those are my reasons why um, I chose ID.
2: Yes. Thank
1: you. Just yes.
2: (laughs) Yes. Okay. Uh, So for me, like I said, I didn't really get really interested in ID and HIV care until my rotations. And I mentioned the patient population because one, uh, given that yes, during this pandemic, people that were infected with HIV were very stigmatized and a very vulnerable population uh, and many times underserved populations as well, too, or just didn't have the same access to care. And so that appealed to me. And thankfully, I do get to work in a county or safety net hospital where we see someone regardless of their ability to pay or their whether they're, they have documented or not. Uh, and so thanks to government funding, we're able to see them and get them into care and again you know a big part of hiv care is trying to end that stigma it's become a chronic disease now for many patients and like Non said we have people in their 70s and 80s with hiv who've had it since the 90s and were on horrible drugs back then or trial drugs which had all those side effects that scared people of course uh, but we're living in an era now where medications are successfully you know getting people um healthy within a month to two months, and only on like one pill once a day, a majority of people uh, and with that, that's sort of where the leads into research opportunities. Medications are always advancing, and there's always drug trials happening even before this pandemic. And I'd say in regards to antibiotics and in regards to HIV medications, we've seen more advancements. Uh, in the past 20 years of drug classes and drug types, more advancements than probably most other specialties, not to tout us that, <laughs> but like compared to cardiology, a lot of medications they have since the 90s, they're still kind of using. Well, medications we had in the 90s, we have stopped using, thankfully, except maybe one of them. Uh, and so that's just because a lot of research doesn't want to settle on what's there and we're always trying to make things better. Uh, And of course, during now, there's a lot of research opportunities with investigational drugs, but, um, and also because we don't know as people with HIV are living longer, we're seeing, you know, different things in regards to cancer or in regards to long-term care. And so there's research involved in there and trying to improve their health as they get older living with HIV. Uh, And then of course, a big part of my outpatient is involved in primary care. And so like in most primary care settings, you see these patients over, you know, I mean, as maybe you see them at once or twice a year or three to four times a year and over years, and you really build a relationship with them. And I have many patients where I saw them maybe a day after they were diagnosed with HIV and coming to grips with that, or maybe they were diagnosed in the hospital and they had a very severe Weakened immune system. And I've seen them go from, you know, fearing this virus or just fearing, you know, for themselves to now they are living and uh, they're on their medications. Some of them even have families now, or they have a significant other that or a partner that they're wanting to start a family with. And so um, you get to see that progression and build that relationship from an outpatient primary care standpoint that appeal to me and why i'm still doing it today and then i guess like non said with hepatitis c we can cure it so that's always cool when you can say you cured someone of something
1: without having to so. cut their you know organs out or something
2: right right exactly and it, most treatments just 8 to 12 weeks so wonderful all right
1: all right so what does my daily routine look like? So I stayed up all night, probably because I had a little bit of insomnia, but I created a little TikTok video to show you. But Casey, you missed that uh, minute recap. Essentially, with my job, I'm lucky there are no weekends, no call. As long as I'm a practicing PA, I hope that is the case. I work Monday through Friday, get into the office around 8 o'clock, and I'm usually out by 4.30, which was a nice change when I previously worked in ENT. My hours were also similar, eight uh, to five, but a lot of times I was staying up till close to ten o'clock, charting or doing something ridiculous. So, nope, I come home at four thirty. No notes. This is it, which is a huge blessing. Um, like I said earlier, my role is general ID consults. We'll go into a little bit more of what I commonly see. Um, but typically in the mornings, once I get to work, I log on to our EMR and just kind of take a glimpse and see if there's any new consults that came in overnight. Um, normally if not, uh, the teams will start contacting us, you know, by 10 o'clock to notify us of the patients. So from there, I kind of gather my own list. Unfortunately, my EMR system sucks and it's very archaic and I kind of have to do this manually, um, but I kind of gather my patients. I look at you know their labs, read other specialty notes, kind of get an idea of what happened within those last twenty four hours. Um, of course, with ID work, essentially bug chasers. So I'm looking, you know, to see what cultures are growing. Um, if the patient had surgery, you know, what did the pathology report, the surgical path report? You know, did it grow anything there? What did it look like? Because that is something that I also didn't realize that in ID you know, you are the ones to make all these recommendations. You have to know, first of all, what dosage, um, what antibiotic, and then kind of be the one to guide how long these individuals are on um, treatments for, you know, sometimes a simple, like say, blood infection that can be two weeks for a foot infections, you know, these individuals can be on these antibiotics for like six weeks, sometimes a full eight weeks, um, and sometimes requiring a pick line, you know, an IV access line. So, You know, so typically um, once I get it takes about two hours and I don't know if I'm new and I'm slow (laughs) or it's just because our our EMR is just so archaic. Um, But I really struggle and it takes me a while to have to individually click through each item. And so I finish gathering my stuff either by nine o'clock or so and then I make it onto the floor. I round on my patients um, first. And then around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, I'll meet with my team. And that generally consists of my attending um, and possibly a resident, most often an internal medicine resident. Um, In my current setting, uh, any new consult is required to have an attending physician kind of sign off on that or co-sign. And so typically we'll kind of round on the patients together, make any changes to our treatment plan, um, and by then rounding can take sometimes up to two hours. They'll take me until like lunchtime at that point. I'm back at my desk. I'll finish up my notes from the morning. Sometimes call. I mean, Josh, I don't know if you ever bug your labs, maybe not, but obviously we have a lab in the hospital. And so I'll call kind of harass them and be like, Hey, it's taken a while. Can you give me any insight on what's either the gram stain or what's somewhat growing? Um, You know, also sometimes call patients for follow ups. Um, But then just kind of wait, see, you know, there may be another peak where we'll get another new consult that afternoon. Um, And so most of my afternoon is spent doing what I call administrative time, um, just sitting there ordering, you know, different imaging or really specialists. Um, And then what I really do enjoy Thursday. Meet together um, as a group. Currently, I am the only PA in my practice. Uh, there are five other attendings and we'll have a new one joining us in a few weeks. Um, and so um, that our huddle, we will discuss any interesting cases for the week. And so I think with ID, um, and it may just not be feasible with other specialties, but particularly in ID, it's one of those specialties that really requires multiple set of eyes because there are no clear cut answers. Yes, we have guidelines, but a lot of times you have to kind of work with others to try to find out the best recommended practices. Um, and so this is something that I do look forward every Thursday to hear Um I guess currently, or I'm sorry, for next week, I know we're going to talk about TV in the eye. So I have some reading to do at some point this week on Thursday. But in a nutshell, that's kind of do. So essentially go in, figure out who I have to see, go and see them, and just kind of wait until we have new patients to see.
2: Cool. <laughs> uh, so... Mine, we'll look at more from my outpatient standpoint. Uh, I'll start from the top, AM conference or grand round. So it depends on certain days of the week. Usually Wednesday mornings, uh, we'll have like a conference. It's usually a lecture or something. So someone will present some HIV topic if I'm in the HIV clinic. Uh, for example, we just had one looking at hepatitis B and hepatitis A in the HIV population. So some of it's basic science. Some of it is uh, just sort of maybe discussing new evidence or new guidelines that might be out. And that's we usually would meet in a lecture hall, but now it's all virtual. The same thing with grand rounds as well, too. Grand rounds is usually a time also set for an hour in a morning usually thursday mornings and that's usually the id grand round so it's usually a time for the id fellow physicians in training to present an interesting case they saw and then we as sort of the group will maybe give our differential or discuss kind of what we think the you know the different the diagnosis could be based on the labs and the presentation that they gave us and then maybe if it's something like um what was it last week was cryptosporidiasis which is just a, a a diarrhea infective agent uh it's sort of like the background on it and sort of what it can do in certain populations so uh it's definitely these are more teaching time uh and then usually it would go into sort of my normal patient flow i'll have anywhere from maybe like 12 to 14 patients in uh, when i'm in the hiv clinic or in the id clinic uh and so that's with the the reason I listed as a patient-centered medical home is that, uh, in many HIV clinics, not just the one I am at, but in out, outpatient clinics, they will see a variety of patients. And like I said, we do the primary care, but that includes new patient intakes that I've listed there, follow-ups. So patients who have obviously been in care for a while, and you're just doing, you know, just checkup stuff like you would at your normal primary doctor. And then maybe someone was in the hospital recently and you are managing the antibiotics on the outpatient setting, or um, like I said, they were diagnosed in the hospital and you're following them uh, outpatient. We also run an urgent care. So one APP or advanced practice provider will, uh, which includes a PA or an NP, will sort of run the urgent care clinic for that day. And so it's more of just a walk-in clinic for specific to our patients with HIV, Uh, Again, this is sort of part of the funding, thanks to that, that we try to make it sort of a one-stop shop for our patients. And then now, thanks to COVID, we've been doing a lot of telehealth as well too. And so it's just a mixture of of things. And that telehealth for us is usually by phone or or through this video app. And then administrative tasks that I might do are things like prescription refills, responding to certain patient messages on the EMR, uh, or say, for example, a insurance company is not going to cover a certain medication, or they're giving an alternative that is inferior or something, or maybe they're always offering an alternative that they say they don't want to cover, and so they might request a peer-to-peer, which is just a provider talking, uh, you as the provider calling the insurance company, speaking to provider on that end trying to do things like that that doesn't happen too often thankfully but um where you're trying to get imaging done and and so it's more of those administrative tasks you know the keeping the things that you do to keep patient flow going but not it's more of indirect patient care not directly sitting in front of the patient and and you know prescribing a medication it's all the behind the scenes stuff that you may have to do um And so, yeah, that's typically outpatient. And that's kind of, I I listed kind of scattered like that because it just kind of varies by the day. But essentially, it's usually if there is lecture in the morning, then it would be followed up by whatever kind of patients sort of are scheduled for you that day.
1: All right. So typical cases, um, you know, really, like I said, I spent the whole First month in COVID, that is still there. Just because I'm not seeing COVID patients doesn't mean they don't exist. Um, Typically, with our current setup, um, right now, since our numbers are still pretty high, we have one provider seeing only COVID patients. Um, And the only reason why is it gets technical. You know, some of these medications, because they're under investigational, like, you know, research base. on a national level, they are kind of mandated and control when you can give it. So you have to be in touch, get a patient started or order the medications by a certain time. And so it's best to not kind of mix that with a patient who might have neutropenic fevers and can literally crash on you in any second. So, you know, kind of dealing with two urgencies. So it's best to have one individual on COVID. Um, And then You know, one just doing general ID. I will say the bulk of my service is probably 80 percent bone infections, a lot of, um, you know, foot infections, joint infections and. This is something that I've really been pondering for some time. I'm really curious to know what other PAs in the community are seeing. I feel because of the pandemic, so many primary care offices were closed or in a way, unfortunately, refusing care to, or to see patients because they were scared. And so as a result, there has been some neglected care. You know, I see a lot of patients with comorbidities, they're obese, they're diabetics with hypertension, high cholesterol, high, you know, hypertension, everything. So, So I feel because their blood sugars weren't very well managed and who's to say maybe they weren't great in the first place pre-COVID, but certainly with COVID, uh, it's been really hard to have that discussion with patients saying, hey, yes, we know this toe got infected. Yes, we know we have to amputate this toe, but now you're back a month later. It's not healing. We have to cut more off. So that is a very tough discussion to have. Of course, I'm not the one doing the surgery, but as part of the team, I'm still managing these antibiotics long term. So I would say, unfortunately, that is the bulk of my service right now. Um, of course we see, you know, everyone likes to talk about poop. So C-diff it's there in the hospitals, of course, um, blood infections, bacteremia, sepsis. Um, we see because we do treat older patients. We do see a lot of endocarditis. Um, of course your pneumonia and especially now with flu season, you know, upon us, it'll be interesting to see how that will pan out. But I would say overall, this is probably the bulk, uh, maybe UTIs, complicated UTIs, right? We don't see treat the bread and butter but cuz the hospitalists and this is something I want to make clear as well right we're not consulted on every infection um, you know right we're not we're not seeing every single patient on the floor but the ones that get a little bit more complicated um, working in ID we in a way kind of have the special key where we have the power to okay for certain medications to be given. Um, And so the hospital team may not be able to prescribe them, but if they have ID on board, or at least to review, then we can say, okay, yes, this patient can have this type of antibiotic. Um, And so I would say um, pretty much, I would say the bulk of what I see on a day-to-day basis With a sprinkle Sorry. of uh, <laughs> interesting cases here and there, but go ahead,
2: Josh. Yeah. So in the uh, HIV clinic, uh, all of my patients that I see there all have HIV, but uh, given that it is a primary care clinic, we are managing other things as well. Uh, say that they do have, or they are in a stage of AIDS and maybe they have an opportunistic infection and they have to be on long-term antibiotics for it. Uh, we will manage that outpatient. Of course, can't forget sexually transmitted infections, especially we've seen a rise of it during this pandemic as people were uh, not sheltering in their own place, but other people's places. Uh, (laughs) um, And so so things like gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, uh, mycoplasma genitalium, uh, lymphogranuloma venarium, uh, things, fun things like that, um, definitely are sprouting up on the rise. We're treating those and then PrEP uh, is also a very hot topic and a very important topic, not just in an ID clinic, but the goal is to hopefully have that uh, that primary care providers doing this as well who uh, and don't see patients with HIV. And so PrEP, in short, stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. And it is something that someone who does not have HIV can take to prevent them from getting HIV. It's a one pill once a day. It actually is a combo of two HIV medications that will work just like HIV meds, but it's more of preventing that HIV medication. Or if someone was to potentially get infected by HIV, it would prevent that HIV virus from latching on or sort of replicating within the genome of the, of that person. Uh, So definitely something that we offer and provide to say the partners of someone who has HIV. Um, So there's an HIV positive, HIV negative partner, and they want, you know, want to be the negative partner wants to be protected. PrEP is available. Uh, And we do offer and manage that outpatient antibiotics. So like not had mentioned if someone's getting treated for, Uh, bacteremia or some osteomyelitis, and they're on that antibiotic for six weeks. Uh, Well, in the outpatient setting, we have to make sure that their liver and kidneys are doing fine, depending on what those medications are. If they have a PIC line in, which most do, we have to make sure that that's okay. And if it needs to be changed, uh, we will take care of that or have a nurse take care of that. Tuberculosis is something else that we still see here down in the South I uh, actually even other parts of the United States as well too. But people who get infected with tuberculosis have to take treatment for a good nine to 12 months. Um, or if they're getting late in tuberculosis treatment, which just means a sort of a, a sleeping TB infection, uh, that's about usually six to nine months. But again, those are like four antibiotics and those need to be managed outpatient. Uh, And then even COVID-19, in some respects, uh, I do have some patients that we get enrolled in some outpatient trials, but also testing as far as from a clinic setting, because like I said, um, you know, our HIV patients aren't protected either. And so, uh, and so it's, they, you know, can have been getting infected with this new virus. And so it's been uh, sort of, our duty to get them tested and to educate, uh, if necessary and this and that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of fit. So it's a lot of, I guess, like non would say sometimes what we'd consider bread and butter of primary care with UTI and similar infections. We do see those in the outpatient setting and take care of them for our patients with HIV.